Modern self-defense is supported through building a mindset that you are worthy uh, and you are worth defending. And it's really about practicing honing your voice because verbal self-defense, believe it or not, is actually a thing. And that is the voice of today's guest, the amazing Leslie Liu. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that I am doing a contest from now until the end of this year. Anyone who gives a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast will get a mug and or sticker. Maybe both. We'll see. You just have to do that uh, five-star rating and review, screenshot it, send it to me on social media in a message or info at diversityonfire.com through email. So if you have not done that yet, hit pause, hop on over there, give a five-star rating and review, send me the info so I can send you the goodies. I will have some pictures of those mugs coming up soon so you can get a visual on what they look like. Today, we are starting off one of the three amazing voices from the Asian community that will be highlighted in September. So I hope you enjoy, you get engaged, get ready to spark those embers of curiosity and check your bias. Welcome back to Diversity on Fire. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply and act with more knowledge and compassion. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics. Today, I am joined by the beautiful, powerful, and inspiring badass, also known as Leslie Liu. Leslie is on a mission to save lives through empowering women to speak up and defend themselves. She's the founder of Reclaiming Your Courage and is a leading self-defense expert, facilitator, and coach. Super excited to chat with you. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you. I'm fired up to be here. Ooh, I like it. I like that little spin. You're fired up to be on Diversity on Fire. (laughs) All right. So let's, I mean, the intro kind of gives a little bit of a tiny taste in your professional, what you've got going on professionally. But I want to start by getting a little personal. So would you share a little bit about your personal backstory growing up, maybe where that was, starting point, and then kind of what led you on this mission or led you towards this mission of helping women uh, find their strength? Yeah, great question. So a little bit about me. I was born and raised in San Francisco. And at an early age, being the overweight girl, I was always bullied and picked on in school. And I remember just brutal beatings on the street where kids would do mean things and spit on me and call me names and, you know, basically take items out of my backpack and just like throw them all over the floor. And I've had these moments of coming home and bawling my eyes out. And my mom, who is not a typical Korean American mom, um, basically didn't like seeing me in that type of pain. And so she's like, you know what, Uh, pack your bags, you're going to go to Taekwondo camp, She signed me up for martial arts early on in life. And she's like, you're going to learn how to kick the shit out of them. And um, so very early on in my young life, my mom really empowered me by starting on this martial arts journey. I love your mom. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been a martial artist for 20 years and, and started in Taekwondo and moved on to things like Shaolin Kempo and um, just have always been passionate about that. 
And so um, I like to bring that onto others in a modern way. But something else that happened very early on, shortly after those years of my mom starting me off in martial arts was she also felt it was appropriate for me to uh, go get in touch with my roots. I, I come from a multicultural family. So my mom is Korean. She predominantly raised me. My father is Filipino and Chinese. And um, my mom was like, look, um, you're a picky eater. You don't really know much about your culture and language. So I'm just going to fly you on a plane and you're going to go visit your relatives in this other country. So um, flash forward uh, one summer, I'm 11 years old. I am on a camping trip with some family members. And one of my cousins, who was in college at the time, had a couple of friends join. And my, the heart of my story really stems from this traumatic experience of being sexually assaulted in a vehicle during this camping trip. And I didn't know what had happened to me. And I... I felt a deep sense of shame and guilt because I somehow felt like I did something to uh, solicit that. And people ask me, like, why didn't you tell your mom or why didn't you tell your family members? And I say, you know, my perpetrator specifically knew I could not communicate with my family. I was not fluent in the language. So I think that there's that element. I also think culturally growing up, you don't want to do, as an Asian American, you don't want to do anything to really rock the boat or bring unwanted attention to your family. And so I somehow felt that I would be bringing bad luck to my family. And I somehow felt like I was going to engage in some oppression Olympics. And what I mean by oppression Olympics is there's always at least in my upbringing on the Korean side, there's always this like, well, you suffered, but you know, it's not as bad as this. Like what happened to me is so much more worse. And so I didn't want to go through that uh, with my family. And so that really set me off for decades of mental health struggles, the inability to foster healthy friendships and relationships It really, I got really good at suppressing my voice and internalizing. And those things really started showing up later on in life when I started taking on corporate jobs. And all of this started uh, connecting with one another and, and feeling like I wasn't good enough. I had this inner critical voice. And so when it came to being a worker bee, working in Silicon Valley and having people say really messed up things to me and, you know, having pay disparity. Like I just was the, I was just trying to be the perfect Asian. Like I was trying to be a great student. I was trying to be a great worker. And, and part of that was like, I just didn't say anything. And So I really just got into this really dark, dark place. And I think that during a pandemic, those things get amplified. And so I I really got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so the one thing that I could always rely on to get me out of darkness was my knowledge of martial arts. 
So I, I really spent years unpacking with a therapist what had happened to me as a survivor and developing authentic language around like, well, how do I, how do I even talk about this with people in my life, um, my husband and, and everyone else. And so it literally took 20 to 30 years to even get to a place of, of vocalizing what had happened to me. And so um, now I have found a way towards a calming light. And I do that through modern self-defense. And so I, I take the principles I learn from self-defense and I and they fall into three buckets. I, I tell people it's, it's really about building a mindset, uh, building a voice, and then technique can come later on with movement. I just want to take a minute to acknowledge you for what you went through and your trust was decimated and then you didn't have trust enough, you know, like safety enough to share that. And so that's a heavy, heavy, heavy burden. So I want to acknowledge what you went through, but I also want to acknowledge the fucking power it takes to pull yourself out of that. And I think that's amazing that you found the fortitude, however you found it, to say, guess what? This isn't working for me and I'm going to take my power back. I love that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of emotional power lifting. That's, that's how I compare it. And I'm like, man, like uh, depression is a a cold, damp cave. And I like to tell people, you know, you, no one's coming to save you. And so when you are able to kind of look inward and unleash that power, yeah, it's fucking amazing. So that's what I'm here to do is just shine a light on others because they are the source of their own power. Yeah, I think there, there can't be enough said for someone to walk into that power, reach back and say, you can come with me. Like, I'm here for you. I want to show you the way because I know you can do it. Because what, I mean, what is that? That as females collectively, and this is across, across, in in my experience, across all races, that we feel like, why is, why do we feel guilty? But where does this guilt come from? Like something that happens to us is our fault. Oh, it makes me sick. But it certainly feels like it is a common thread. I would agree with you because uh, I, I think you're absolutely right that I've, I've talked to so many women from different cultures and internationally. And there is this element of tying our self-worth to how we defend ourselves. Like we, we're not worthy. So we don't, we don't protect ourselves. And when I talk to clients who are victims verbal, physical, sexual assaults or whatnot. The interesting factor is there's actually sympathy and guilt for the attacker, right? It's like, well, why didn't, you know, why I, I wanted to do this and I didn't. And I'm like, well, why, why didn't you? And it's like, well, I didn't, I didn't want to scratch him or I didn't want to draw attention to myself or, you know, and that to me is when I started really paying attention to women's voices and that's where I said, okay, well, traditional self-defense is, is, not, is definitely a great foundation, but we don't talk about this element, which is like the self-worth and the guilt, because I'm like, you cannot just teach a woman to kick a pad. I mean, you can, but there's nothing behind it. And so I really like to deep dive with women into this, like, the, this mental state, because you've, you've got to break through it and you've got to get out of your head. 
And then all the whole like kicking ass and learning how to do the other stuff comes later. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that approach because you can, I mean, you can be a powerhouse at kicking and taking people down, but in a scenario, if there's too much emotional attachment or, or fear of, you know, if there's a worthiness issue, are you actually going to do it? Yeah. So that's exactly it. And it has nothing to do with like, um, you know, people like to say fight, flight or freeze. Right. And and some people will tell me like, well, I'm, I'm in good shape. Like I'm, I'm healthy and, you know, do CrossFit and stuff like this. And I'm like, that's fabulous. But like an attack can take over 12 minutes. And so when you're exhausted, um, what do you, what do you do after that? And if you're, if your intention is to freeze, then how do you, how do you break yourself out of that to not get victimized? So it's so much more than just like health and fitness. And, you know, like I, you know, I'm in really great shape. I like, it's, it's about the resiliency aspect. Yeah. There's a holistic nature to it. Like health society for some reason decides that that's just what you look like and what you eat. But there is a huge mental portion of that that I'm hoping from what I've seen, it it does feel like it's becoming easier for people to acknowledge that that needs to be taken care of as well. Um, But there's such a stigma behind it. And it has been for so long that we kind of ignore that aspect of it. Right. So I want to go back um, just when you were getting attacked, um, beaten up, when you were getting picked on, when you were getting hate spewed at you. How much of that would you say you either feel or know was directly attributed to your race? Yeah, I I think initially I didn't recognize it as the time. At the time, I just thought, oh, okay, well, it has to do with like my weight. But when I look back on specific incidences, and I think a lot of Asian Americans have this experience, um, I I... I replay the voices and you can say that it correlates with race um, because when people are triggered by, well, your lunch looks different or smells funny. And um, then they start using the words chink, gook. When the language is starting to be used, um, then you know it's specific to race. I just, at the time, I'm like so young. I didn't, I didn't know how damaging those words were because I was so accustomed to hearing it. So now that we live in a time where um, we're starting to take more notice to how damaging these words are, um, yeah, like there's all this compounding trauma that stems from all this hate speech. And so I'm like, yeah, well, this is not, this is nothing new. People think that like hate crimes towards Asians is new because it's been amplified in the last year and a half. I'm like, this isn't new for most of us. Like we've, we've experienced this ever since we've, we've been in this country, whether you immigrated to this country or whether you've been born and raised here, it's, it's, it's not new. And I would go on and say it, it at the core, whether it's conscious or not, the attacker will always be triggered from a place of race, even though they say it's not race or to not play the race card. I'm like, of course it's about race. It's about you pitying me as the perpetual foreigner. Right. You're different, which means you're definitely wrong. You know, there's something wrong with you because you're different than me is, is a common thread of fear. The unknown scares people so much. 
why can't we just get curious? Can we just be curious rather than being hateful? But it's so much easier for people to be hateful, I guess. I don't know. Um, what you said about the name calling, it makes me think of um, that old mantra when, when we were kids. We used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We got that one wrong. We got well, that one's real <laughs> wrong because they definitely do hurt. And they definitely, I can remember, and I, I feel a little bit silly about it, but I can remember things... Um, really super simple things back to when I was a kid, when someone said a word to me or called me something. And I still remember it today. And I'm like, dude, I'm 38. Like it's not affecting my life in terms of like, Mm -hmm. I've kind of moved on. But like, if I'm still remembering that, I can't even imagine what it would be like to have that attack be on who you are as a person. You're not changing. You are who you are. You know what I mean? So it's not like you can just step out of that. That's who you are as a person. And to have that directly attacked. Yeah, it just ruptures you at the core. And, you know, like I'm I'm hitting 40 soon. And even though those words have been spewed at me, um, they are continued to be said to me. I think that recently I was on the Stop AAPI uh, hate website reading statistics and verbal harassment being kind of the higher percentage of the types of attacks that Asian Americans experience. And yeah, like when you read these people's stories and the fact that a majority of the assailants are uh, Asian American women and that the same harmful language we grew up with is, is even more aggressive now. Right. It's like, Hey, this, but like with the word fuck in front of it, like it's, it's more, used as almost like a jab or a a hook. And um, even though I'm kind of desensitized because I've heard it so much, doesn't mean that it's, it's any less wrong or any less damaging. And I really try to empower people, especially in the Asian community to hone their voice. And, and that's something that's also been coming out of my work as to like, it's not so easy to speak up. If you, you know, you, your body reverts to training. And so if culturally we were brought up not to talk back uh, and not to raise volume and not to make waves, then we have to start somewhere. And so um, one of the fundamental things I have to work on with people is, well, what happens when someone says, you know, the chink word in front of us? Like, how do we respond to that? What what are the words that we say to defend ourselves? And what are the words you say to defend yourself? And on that same note, me as a white female, if I heard that, what would you like me to say? That I've had conversations, and of course, this is all personal. You know, each, each, you're not a monolith, right? <laughs> what you say is not going to feel the same to every single person. But I'm always curious because I, I, I say aggressive. Um, I'm not like violent in any way. So just to make clear, I'm not violent, but I'm aggressive. Like I will shoot someone down. Like, no, we do not behave like that. But at the same time, I want to be sensitive and not step on someone else's toes, right? I don't want to speak for somebody else um, as though they can't speak for themselves. Does that make sense? Or did I just turn circles? No, I think there's a lot of um, great things to dissect there too. And it's a common question that I get. And I think that the first part of your question in terms of, well, what are the words you say is specific to the individuals. And that's really what I spend a lot of time uh, working on with my Asian American clients is, 
you're not going to use a statement. I could give you a, a list of statements to say, but if it doesn't, if the language doesn't feel authentic to you, and you won't feel powerful in saying it. So it's really about helping them develop authentic language. And for some people, you know, they they want to be polite about it. They don't want to be aggressive. And so it might be, please leave me alone. Like, please just leave me alone. For me personally, it would be fuck off, you know? <laughs> but but that that's me. And that's because I've spent that time really kind of hearing my voice uh, over and over again and, and really getting sick of being bullied in that way. So I think for everyone, it, it really is, it at this point for the Asian American community, I am like, it doesn't matter how it comes out. What it what is important is that you fight back and you it's okay to be loud. Like I'll be loud and obnoxious about it. I'll get ratchet. But not all of us are comfortable in that lens. And and I have a lot of Asian American clients who are like, God, but I wish. I wish, you know, like I want to. I and I'm like, if that's in you, then we've gotta we've gotta support one another in that. I get it. We hear the voices of our parents that are like, don't do that. But I'm like, okay, if you've never been comfortable with it, let's get real comfortable with it. And the only way to do that is to practice language that feels authentic to you. And um, to answer your question about like what you can do as a bystander, I'm like, uh, at this juncture, the scale of everything that's happening to our community And I'm talking about the ways in which we get attacked are not traditional. Traditional is like, hey, you have an altercation. There's a certain rhythm. Um, You can, you'll hear people use words like de-escalate and here's the different techniques used. I'm like, no, there's none of that. People are going straight into physical striking and um, stabbing people and resorting to violence. So at this stage, I would say for you as a bystander, it's not stepping on anyone's toes. You cannot, to be able to say to someone that's wrong or back off or that's racist, like that's what people need to hear. And it's this like, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I understand like people want to be polite and people don't want to also put themselves in harm's way. I'm like, but I, I would say now is the time to make it a point because when I vocalize really loudly to people who've done racist things to me in public, it's almost like they're in a state of shock. Like if I have someone who's attacking me and calling me something hateful, the vocalization piece is like so powerful. It's like 70% of it. I'm like, they're not going to physically attack me because like they're so shook that this Asian girl stabbed them in the front with her words. And so (laughs) I think for, for you as a bystander, I'm like, you know what? It, I think at this point, um, the thing that I'd like to say to you, if you do see someone um, in the Asian American community who uh, you'd like to intervene and you have that fighter instinct, speak up for them. Like however rowdy you need to be because there is, they're grateful for it. Whether they explicitly state that to you or not, that gratitude will be there. And, and I think that's the right thing to do at this time. Okay, fair. I, um, I don't have a problem with... <laughs> With worrying about being polite, it's I'm, I'm too unfiltered to worry about that. My my concern is the um, I don't want to take away someone's power. Now, if if it is a situation like you say where it's gone straight to violence, yeah, that's there's no absolutely no question in that. Um, 
but I appreciate that that response because I think maybe I think maybe sometimes we all just need to permission to like to just not worry about all the noise of oh she's doing this because she thinks she's better and blah 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 it, just doing it because it's the right fucking thing to do yeah. so yeah and I appreciate your level of like awareness and sensitivity to it for sure but I think that um, right now um, there's some of that is allowing people to be a little bit frozen in the moment and to be quiet. And I'm like, you know what, now's the time to get loud. You know, if, if, if you do step in and someone says something and be like, I really didn't need you to step in. It's like, okay, fair enough. But at least they yeah. know you were trying to be an ally. So before we jump into, cause we've, we've kind of touched on your coaching and kind of grabbing people and bringing them to a place where they can find this strength and self-worth to stand up for themselves because that's what we need. We need people to stand up for themselves regardless, right? But we just don't feel comfortable with it all the time. How did you find yours? How did you come out of all of the negativity? You you, you mentioned um, at one point you said something about depression. Uh, we didn't really get into that too much, but how did you pull yourself out? Was it Was it like kind of a big aha or was it a series of small things that you're finally like, I'm done. This needs to change. It was such a series of small things that accumulated over the years. And it, when it started really impacting my physical health, right? Like suppression led to an, an, a really bad ulcer. So there was a, there was a health like impact of not speaking up um, that really impacted me for years. And my immune system had gotten compromised. Like I just was sick all the time. And, and not sleeping well and, and losing my mind. And on the professional front, you know, I am an executive assistant uh, in my corporate life. And so a lot of it was just kind of being overly accommodating of people, but experiencing instances where I'm like, this is legit wrong. And, and the consequences that come with that and so I got really sick and tired and sick and tired of that. I got really sick and tired of pushing people away because it took me a long time to realize like I am worthy of love in from community and friends and everything and to not push that out. And I would say that the last piece of this is um, just being really lucky at, by being mentored by a lot of great people. Um, whether that's coaches, uh, professional coaches, and whether that is in the martial arts world. Um, I'll give you an example, a, a breakthrough moment for me being a martial artist most of my life and being a stand-up fighter is not being comfortable on my back. <sighs> like that, the thought of that is like terrifying. Like what am I going to do with a 200, pers 200 pound person on my back? And it wasn't until I trained at Evolve Training Center in South San Francisco where it was the first time that I was able to learn from a woman instructor at the time. And, and that, that really resonated with me. And so the power in, in being so scared of something and thinking about worst case scenario. So in this case, reliving some of my trauma which is literally having a man mounted on top of me, choking me. And through the training, teaching me through jujitsu in this instance, how to leverage myself against this person. I was like, there's just no way I'm going to be able to do this. 
And, and after a month of, of being part of this women empowerment workshop, um, to, to be able to see it through and see that I, there was a way through it and I was able to do that. It's like moments like that, that accumulated for me where I said, yeah, I can do this. You know, like I, I, I have to just set the intentions and I have to follow through and and not give up. And so it's all of, it's all of those accumulation of moments that um, I really try to capture when, when I'm teaching now. And it's because of those direct experiences that I have a lot of empathy for people that I support uh, today is because I, I know what it's like to have that wall where you, where everything's caving in and, and you might not do anything because you're so caught up in the fear. I have to tell you, I'm going to geek out for a second because honestly, there is nothing that I get so excited about. Like to see, first of all, male and female, the human bodies are amazing. Like the amount that we can do with our body if we dedicate, learn, train, all those things is amazing. Okay. All that aside, forgetting boys for a second, watching a female just decimate somebody, and I don't mean like bloody whatever, but just be able to take them and right off their feet or just disarm, like, oh my gosh, it gets, I'm so, I love it so much. It's so empowering. So I'm glad that you were able to find that female instructor that kind of gave you a little bit more comfort to come into it. Yeah. Have you um, had much experience or uh, taking any sorts of uh, martial arts training or self-defense training? Not, no, not specifically martial arts or self-defense, um, boxing, um, but boxing in, in more of a, so I li- used to live in San Diego. I'm on the East coast now, but when I was in San Diego, I was a member of a, an actual boxing gym. Although I'm, I'm one of those, I love the training aspect, but when you put me in a ring, like I don't want to actually hit anybody. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to hurt you. And the guy's like, I promise you're, you're not going to hurt me. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm punching you anyways, off topic. Um, (laughs) so I, and I love boxing and I, and I, whenever I go back into it, so I haven't been doing it. I stopped doing it, um, at the beginning of the pandemic because it shut, it feels powerful. Not that I'm going to go run around, you know, knocking anybody down, but just, just knowing that that power is there and having the muscle memory of knowing, you know, basically how to use that power if I need to. Um, I think. It's really interesting what you said at the beginning, though, because I would probably now if someone was attacking me, I'm not super shy. So I don't think I would have that problem necessarily, but I could because you never know how you're going to react, have that mental I don't want to hurt you type thing. So I found that interesting when you said that at the beginning, because I don't I don't know if I would or not might be something I need to work on. And that's the thing, though. We don't know. And so I love what you shared because uh, I personally love boxing as well and the smell of the leather and the sound of hitting pads and whatnot. That was the element that was missing for me in martial arts is, look, I love martial arts. It's beautiful. But when you are are trained to do forms and um, spar against someone and withhold contact, like literally stop two inches from their face, um, the reality sets in that, like, if I don't actually, like, feel what it's like to punch something, then w- how would I ever use it in the streets? Like, that's not realistic. And so, at, you know, at least with boxing, you you have a sense of, okay, well, this is this is the sweet spot. This is actually, like, where I really nailed this, right? And so it's just building that accuracy. But 
I love that you have boxing experience because I'm like, okay, well, believe it or not, it's not just the punching aspect that's probably going to benefit you. Like half of what I teach is the power of pivoting and, and, and being able to move like off center. And the fact is you already have that. So there is a, a there is the power of you understanding how to distribute weight and, and, and move at different angles. And that alone could probably save your life. Yes. I will say though, it's uh, it, it has to be a continued practice, which of course, you know, so uh, this is just uh, me announcing to the world that yes, got to get back at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to email you in a couple of weeks and say like, where are you at with that? Hey, did you start again? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So what is your so you, you came into your own, right? You decide you you worked through what you needed to work through. And of course, you didn't say this. So, so I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. It's just in my experience, it is always a work in progress, but you came to a point where you felt comfortable enough that you're like, okay, now I need to reach back. And so you are doing coaching and you actually have um, a specific method that you at least start with, which is consists of three pillars. Can you share a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm the founder of Reclaiming Your Courage. And so what I like to tell people is when you think about self-defense. Traditionally, you you think, okay, well, I took a course in college. Uh, I took a, you, you know, I saw a YouTube video. I, I carry pepper spray. Uh, maybe I, I took a course where I, I kicked the man in a padded suit. You know, these are things that we've kind of, as women have been exposed to, right? But what modern self-defense does is it elevates that. And the reason why we have to elevate to this other level is because the world we live in is changing. And so the way we have to defend ourselves has to evolve. So I help women develop a strategy as to, you know, how do you, how do you get back home to your loved ones? And that is modern self-defense is supported through building a mindset that you are worthy uh, and you are worth defending And it's really about practicing honing your voice because verbal self-defense, believe it or not, is actually a thing. Setting and setting firmer boundaries and, you know, what happens when someone kind of comes too close to you, especially during a pandemic, right? And then the third element is movement. And I don't, you know, I tell people like, I'm not someone who is going to hold a pad for you and and make you kick it like 10,000 times. Like I'm not that type of instructor. If you, if you would like a referral to something like that, great. I'm more interested in being with you and using your natural strengths. And what I mean by that is someone has to be able to see how you naturally move and, and be able to like, help you develop a toolkit as to like, okay, well, what's relatable to me? What's practical? What, what can I actually use? Uh, how, do, how do I move? Like, I'm more interested in, in, in you accepting those like parts of you that are already naturally strong. It's not just about me teaching you a bunch of techniques. It's really like, okay, well, what works for your body? Because you, you might be better um, on the ground leveraging that more so than you are stand-up striking. Or you might be really good at stand-up striking more than you know. But being a self-defense coach is really helping you discover those strengths and, and how do you make that stronger and how do you 
develop a strategy and a roadmap when shit goes down and it doesn't go as planned. And and that's the element here about modern self-defense is like, there is not one way to do something like it, you know, if something doesn't work right, you've got to be able to have three other ways to attack the same problem or get out of the same situation because it doesn't always work, especially if your attacker is much stronger and much larger than you. Like it just doesn't happen like it does in the movies. Yeah, I'm picturing the movies and it's like all, you know, all this is a little bit extreme of of, of what we would see in, in a modern attack. And like the sword fights and they're always hitting at the same. That's just not how it works. Like, yeah, right. There's like, <laughs> a lot of different things going on. Or just, you know, you're you're in boxing, so I can say this to you. It's like the biggest thing that I broke down in my head was the if you think that you're not gonna get hit, you're playing yourself. Realistic street fighting is is that <laughs> to think that you're gonna go without getting scratched or messed up is a fallacy. So you have to get really comfortable with understanding how to absorb a punch or a strike in a way that you're still standing. Um, to me, that's more realistic is like, yeah, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna get hit. It's about minimizing impact and being efficient and, and striking just enough. So you can get away. This is not about like trying to be a superhero. Like it's, it's not a movie. It's your life. It's definitely not a movie. This is real, real stuff, people. (laughs) Uh, So the the self-defense, so I love it. So just to recap here, the mind mindset, um, vocalization and movement are kind of the three things that you focus on with your self-defense tactics. And I'm, I'm curious because now I'm thinking like, because the way you're describing it is maybe a little bit different than I would have expected too in terms of how you teach people. So again, going back to the whole, we have these specific movements in our mind. What you're saying is you actually cater to the individual and how they naturally move rather than telling them, well, I don't care how you naturally move. This is, we had to, we have to train your body to do this. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, exactly. We, we traditionally understand like, hey, and I certainly have had that experience with instructors, right? They mean well, and some of them male, right? It's like, hey, here, you know, here, do this, kata one, two, five, or here, here, do this. And I, I was always questioning and saying like, yeah, but like my body, uh, this, can you help me? Because it doesn't necessarily feel scaled down for me or the way, like, how can I make, you know, really make this my own? And that was a question that I always asked. And it was really more about like, no, we'll just keep practicing. And I think that was a missing element there. And so I really try to be aware of that when I'm when I'm working with different types of people, because I'm like, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Like, I'll I'll show someone something. And, you know, if they don't get it right off the bat, we try something else. Like, I'm not going to try to drill something into your head where it's like, "Mm, I just, you know, it's one thing to practice something and eventually get it. But then there's something where I'm like, okay, well, that's not that's not your cup of tea. So let's find a different way. So um, I think that's the difference is like, hey, I'm not saying like my my Kung Fu school is the best and you've got to learn my system. It's like, OK, well, let me show you a lot of different things and, and let's see which one you like. Like if you don't like using a sword, maybe you like using an axe instead. Oh, the imagery that just came to mind there. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I love it. And you know, you know what uh, words coming to mind as you describe this method is accessibility. Because I think when there's this idea that even if it's not comfortable for you, you have to just keep training and you have to do it this way. It feels more accessible to say, this can work for anybody. Let's figure out how it works for you. Yeah. And so that's why it's really about meeting people where, where they are. And that's what I love, like why I'm so passionate about coaching is because um, when, when you get to see someone do something they didn't think that they could do, right? And you're just holding up a mirror to someone and they just feel so badass as a result. I'm like, yeah, like it doesn't have to be as hard. Like these are simplistic things and it's just a handful of things that I show people. And I'm like, the basics are harder than the intricate things, right? Like people want me to like show them intricate things. And I'm like, yeah, that looks cool. But like that, how is that going to work for you? Or what are you going to do when you hit, you strike and you miss, you know? And I, I think that's what I love about what I do because I'm like, no one is really asking those questions. And so I really like to be part of someone's process of is like, what's going on here? Right. Because I, you know, I like, as much as people are like, well, then I would do this and that. I'm like all the training in the world, you can think that is going to pan out a certain way. Right. And it's the same thing with self-defense is like, Oh, I'll poke them in the eye and I'm going to kick them in the groin and it's going to, and I'm like, okay, but what if you kick him in the groin and it doesn't phase him and um, now he's coming at you angrier? Like yeah. that's the mindset piece where I really dive deeper into those things. Or what if you tried a few techniques and, you know, the angle just wasn't right and, and now and now you're, you're stuck? Like how do you create openings for yourself? And, and that's the piece in traditional self-defense that I felt was missing is like nobody was talking about like, well, what if this doesn't work? What's next? I like it. And so this is where your toolbox comes in. Yeah. And it's giving um, women a roadmap. And I do things like a situational awareness roadmap to walk through. Um, because if you don't know, that's okay. And, I, and that's why I'm saying like, okay, well, let me give you a structure. And it's going to take time for that to be something that's embedded into you. But I find that women appreciate the structure and the visuals that I provide and the tools because it's so much more than just like the flashy move. Mm -hmm. It's understanding the impact of what, what escaping actually feels like. That's the empowerment is like learning how to escape, but like the feeling of like, Oh shit, I got out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So are you working on any specific projects now or is there anything that, you know, that we haven't touched on that you really want to make sure is shared? Um, you know, I'm always working on something. Uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I'm I'm going to, you know, every couple of months, I like to do a live virtual training. So I have a modern um, self-defense basics for women uh, live virtual training coming up. And I, I don't think I shared this earlier, but I'm in my third trimester of my second pregnancy. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. And you're, and you're still training? Yes, I am still training. Okay. I'm, even with my, even with my last um, pregnancy, when my son, I, I was boxing until about three weeks prior to me giving birth. I love it. <laughs> And, and and that's the thing. Um, I am working on sharing with people in my content, like 
I'm like, look, like, I'm gonna be real messy, right? Like, I'm gonna take you on this process with me. Like, these move, like, I can't, I have to train regardless, right? And even after the baby's born, how do I get my body back? And so I really want to focus on supporting moms, uh, new moms, postpartum moms, um, because we still have to think about the same things. You still have to think about what happens if someone shoves you or grabs you from behind. It's just now um, I can't fall. I can't fall forward. I can't fall on my stomach. Yeah, there's even more dynamics because then, you know, after the baby's born, you're potentially going to have an infant with you. So now it's not just you fighting for you. Yeah, so I'm working on that. Um, but I'm really excited for the modern um, self-defense class coming up because I I love sharing with people practical self-defense. And for me, it's like, okay, uh, instead of that pepper spray, let's learn how to strike with our hydro flasks. Let's learn how to strike with our cell phones. Let's, you know, like, let's get into it. Like, let's do stuff that actually can work uh, and are are not the typical like, hey, put your keys in between your fists. It's funny. We did an episode. Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember. It was back in March. Doesn't really matter. But we had, you know, females out walking around and we were talking about that, of like that common idea. And just after we did that, you posted something on your social media with this tool. And I was like, well, I guess the keys aren't the best option. But that's what's amazing about what you do is you're you're sharing it. You know what I mean? So, you know, when when you know better, you do better, hopefully. So I certainly hope you got a tactical flashlight as a result of that. I actually did order one. I ordered one for my mom too, because she recently moved and she she loves going on trails. Yeah. She's like, but I don't know if I can go on the trails by myself. I was like, listen, you're gonna be able to do this. You are. You just push this button and I tested it out on my husband and he literally was disoriented and wanted to throw up. He's like, no joke. Like I wanted to throw up like for an hour. Like it's so bright. <laughs> and, I was like, that's, and that's just managing distance. And that's why like with my approach, I know that some people are down to get dirty and combat and strike. Right. But I also know that people want to manage their distance. And so something like a tactical flashlight and vocalizing boundaries and using your voice is a very good way to do that. A lot of different layers, a lot of different options. So I love it. I want to jump into the final two questions. So the first one is, what do you want to share? What is what is one thing, and I'm sure there's many, but one thing that you wish more people would understand or at the very least, acknowledge about your experience as an Asian woman in America? I want people to understand, uh, specifically now, when it comes to stop Asian hate, that just because you don't personally see the feeds or you might not have direct experiences regarding it doesn't mean that it's not continuing to happen and that's the biggest thing I try to point out is like, it's, it's very painful as an Asian American person, having to worry about your parents and your elders constantly and what keeps you up at night. You know, like I've never had to worry about my mom going to the grocery store and getting attacked. Um, and for someone like myself, who is a mother like that, that continues to haunt me. Um, I, I want I want to break down that myth because I've had people say to me like, oh, it's just, it seems like it's getting better. I'm like, for who? Like, just because you don't see it 
like it's happening because I know people who are getting attacked and I'm very aware to know that it's escalating and it's continuing um, to know that we as a community are still trying to figure out how to navigate it all and still trying to heal and to mourn through what has happened from things like the Atlanta shootings. It resonates with us deeply, like whether whether someone you know who is Asian is vocalizing it to you or not, I think just asking someone in your life who is Asian, like, I'm aware of these things going on, like asking them questions and, and really nurturing an environment in which leaving the door open for them to talk about it. Because I think culturally for me, it's like, hey, we don't want to burden anybody, but like I'm trying to fight those tendencies. Like I don't want to burden other people by like talking about it, but it's, it's very real and it's very prominent, especially in the Bay area and other major cities. And so um, the one thing I want people to know is um, to not minimize and, and say that it's less than, or it's not happening. And my message specifically is to people in the Asian American community is if it's uncomfortable to speak up, but you know now's the time that you want to speak up, like to not hold back from that. And at this point, like use your words as your sword and and really go for it. Because we if we're not good at it, like that's fine, but we have to start sharpening those swords because it's it's continuing to happen. So to to really just make a conscious effort to hear your own voice. Because if you don't hear your own voice, you won't use it. I love it. Coming from where I'm coming from, I can speak to the fact that we don't see it as much. So I appreciate the thought of checking in with friends and making sure that that space is made and the trust is built so that we can dismantle this whole fear of sharing and dismantle this whole fear of guilt that, you know, the victim guilt. We shouldn't be feeling guilty when things like anything happens to us. So the more we can foster that trust amongst each other, hopefully the more we can all become more comfortable sharing our truths and dismantling the BS that has continued for far too long. Yeah. And please lead with love, like ask your friends, you know, because we have grown up in households and families where that wasn't fostered. You, you just don't talk about it and you weren't asked. So the fact that, you know, people are asking the questions, like it, it gives me a bridge to be able to talk about it. I want to be able to talk about it, but if no one's asking me, that's just as damaging. Totally agree. Um, all right. So the final question, what are five words you would use to describe yourself? Uh, number one, unapologetic. The second one, resilient. And that encompasses just bravery and courage. Third, love. Just the, um, that's what I lead with um, in every facet of my life. Let's see, so that's three. And then the remaining two would be um, loud. And the last one would be super weird. I would just say weird. (laughs) (laughs) All of those are absolutely perfect. I love it. Thank you. Anyone, anyone that's listening that knows me would be like, yeah, that's true. Sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story, 
for sharing what you're doing and not just sharing what you're doing, but for doing what you're doing. It's incredibly important and we want to support you in any way we can. I will make sure that your links are in the show notes for everyone to connect with you. So we're going to link your website, uh, social media, and then also the event that you have coming up. So I want to encourage everybody to check that out and just thank you for being you. Thank you for being you. And I genuinely mean this when I say that having someone like yourself ask me these thoughtful questions and taking time to look at my work is incredibly validating on so many levels as an Asian American woman, because it's, it's literally you saying to me, like, I hear you and I see you. So I just feel incredibly grateful. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Diversity on Fire. Don't forget to check the show notes for important links where you can connect with Leslie. Check out her website, connect with her, and follow for more information. Also, connect with Diversity on Fire. You can do that on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our Facebook group is Facebook group Diversity on Fire. So do a quick search there. We would love to continue the conversation with you outside of this episode. And don't forget that five-star rating and review so you can get yourself a free mug and or sticker. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. And please share the show with everyone you know so more people can join in these important conversations. I have to just set the intentions and I have to follow through and, and not give up. 